Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Well, greetings this Lord's Day on this fifth day of the 12 days of Christmas. Today we gather together in the presence of the Lord, God's people, being invited into His presence when really we should never have been. If it were based upon uh, the fact that uh, we were sinless and that we could come before the Lord clean, we wouldn't be here. But because the Christ child came, the Messiah came, he came and when we stand before God, we stand before him and are seen in the righteousness of Christ. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. Amen? We can be thankful for that today. You know, what we do during these times where we celebrate uh, things like Christmas or Maybe somebody celebrates the 12 days of Anybody? Does anybody actually do that here? 12 days of Christmas? Oh, Matt does, okay. Um, when do you get the partridge in the pear tree? On the first day? Okay, so he gets it on the first day. So we'll, we will be consulting him in the sermon later on uh, about that. On the very first day, he gets the partridge in a pear tree. All right. Uh, but when we celebrate and when we feast, uh, when we rest and when we remember things, the way that we do that kind of defines who we are. It defines what kind of life we have. In fact, it literally builds a culture. The resting, the remembering, the feasting, and even the fasting. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today uh, as we enter into this time of worship. In Psalm 92, which is our call to worship today, there was a special thing that the Jews did on the Sabbath day. In fact, there was a psalm that says, Psalm 92 is a psalm for the Sabbath day. You know, there are times to sing Christmas songs, right? There are times to sing Advent songs. There are times to sing songs of mourning. There are times to sing songs of joy. In Psalm 92, it says in verse 1, this is a psalm for the Sabbath day. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. Upon an instrument of ten strings and upon the psaltery and upon the harp with a solemn sound, For thou, Lord, thou hast made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the works of thy hands. Can you hear what's going on in the psalm? He's saying on this day when I'm not working, whose work am I rejoicing in? God's work. On this day, what am I doing? I'm singing songs. I'm lifting up my voice. I'm remembering the good works of God. For thou, Lord, have made me glad through thy work, and I will triumph in the works of thy hands. Oh, Lord, how great are thy works. Thy thoughts are very deep. A brutish man doesn't know this. Neither does a fool understand this. When the wicked spring is the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is they that shall be destroyed forever. But thou, Lord, art most high forevermore. For lo, thine enemies, O Lord, for lo, thine enemies shall perish, and all the workers of iniquity 
shall be scattered. Can you see where he's using the word workers and workers? He's, he's explaining that the ungodly don't understand that God works and God rests. And we are resting today and remembering that. But my horn shall be exalted like the horn of the unicorn and I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Mine eyes shall see my desire on mine enemies, and my ears shall hear my desire of the wicked that rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like a palm, and he will grow like the cedar of Lebanon, that they be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Think of yourself as plants growing up in God's great palace. They shall bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing to show that the Lord is upright, for he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Who's our focus today? It's God. You know, if I were going to tell you we're going to have a focus on me today, you would scoff because that would be very, very silly. Okay? But when God says focus on me, there's nothing prideful about it in the, in a, in the wrong sense. God points us to himself and wants us to think of him, not in the way a selfish person wants attention, but because there's nothing better to look at. Amen? There's nothing better to think about. There's nothing truer. There's nothing more lovely. There's nothing more wonderful than to think of the good things of God. And so he gives us this day as a gift to us. We can turn away from the horrible things that are happening out in the world that are happening on the lands that are torn with war and poverty and sickness of, of the homes that are mourning for the, for the deaths and the car accidents and the difficult, all of that, we can turn from that and we can remember that there will be a day where that will no longer be. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, that the world has been suffering and suffers still every day from loss and death, strives and works and sweats to, to produce food for the table and shelter for our heads. But Lord, today we remember that the lilies, they do not toil. We remember that you care for the sparrow, that you number the hairs upon our head and that you love us and that today... You prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies and our cup will run over with blessings. Lord, let us be that blessed man who meditates on your word day and night, who is planted like the, the tree by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in a season. Lord, help us to remember that the ungodly will perish, but we will prosper and that that blessed man can be you, can be all of us here as we follow your example. We pray today, Lord, as we come into your presence, you would forgive us and wash us of our sins. Lord, that you would feed us from heaven, Lord, that we would be more like you, that we would be changed when we left this place, that we might be more like you. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, My sermon today is called Feasting, Fasting, Resting, and Remembering. My text is Exodus chapter 12, which you heard a, uh, a bit of. I'm just going to read six verses, verses 14 through 20. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations and you shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever seven days shall you eat unleavened bread even the first day you shall put away the leaven out of your houses for whosoever eats leavened bread from the first day unto the seventh that soul shall be cut off from israel and in the first day there shall be only there shall be an holy convocation and there in the seventh day shall be another holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. And therefore shall you observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. 
In the first month of the fourteenth day of the moon at even, you shall eat unleavened bread until one in the twentieth day of the month at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses, for whosoever shall eat the leavened bread, that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. You shall eat nothing leavened, and all of your habitations shall ye eat unleavened bread. Let us pray. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for the many gifts you give us. James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Lord, it was of your will that you begat us, not of our own desire that we would be the first fruits uh, of this great thing that you're doing in the world. Lord, we pray, Lord, that your kingdom would indeed come on earth as it is in heaven. In Christ's name we pray, all God's people said. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Everybody say these words with me. Feasting, Feasting. fasting, fasting. Resting, resting, and remembering. Now, as I told you before, we're in the middle of the 12 days of Christmas. You may not realize this, but this is still celebrated by millions of Christians around the world. Some, uh, somewhere I read more than a billion. That's a lot of people. Okay, um, And it has been for 1,452 years. How many of you like good traditions? I like good traditions. You know, when Jesus chided uh, the Pharisees for their traditions he said that their traditions have made the word of god of none effect was he was he asking people to abandon traditions or was he explaining to them that when your traditions overwhelm what god has actually said for you to do your tradition is bad that's what he was teaching okay traditions that accentuate your love for god your knowledge of god and your appreciation for god are wonderful but you can take traditions and they can detract completely away from God. But for 1,452 years since this feast was declared in the medieval church at the Council of Tours in 567, uh, somewhere in France, um, it's one of the many uh, feast days of the church calendar. In fact, as you look at the church calendar, some of you that have had some uh, past experience in the Catholic Church, it seems that they feasted themselves and special dayed themselves into where that, if every day is a feast and every day is special, then guess what, guys? Then no day is. You know, if you have a special feast every day, then it's not a special feast, right? So you can feast too much. You can party too much. You can celebrate too much, okay? But you can also not do it enough. And throughout church history, we've had a, uh, different times of this. People are feasting every day. Every day is named after a saint. Every day is a special festival. And then you have others that believe in, you know, putting butter on your bread any day is a sin. Like, you just got, you just got two disparities. The, the Christian life is a middle road. It's a road that seeks a balance of these kinds of things. We feast, but if we feast 365 days a year, we'll just be fat people. Okay? Now, most Americans think that the 12 days of Christmas start 12 days before Christmas and end on Christmas Day. That's because most Americans have no idea what the 12 days of Christmas are about. And don't worry, I'm not going to school us in it and we're not going to celebrate it. Don't, don't, don't get excited. Okay? But mostly these traditions have been lost to the Western Church. Paul admonished us, though, and I, there's something I really want to focus on for a while. You guys ready to kind of dig in just for a minute? All right. Paul admonished the Roman Christians in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, to be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Okay. There is a way of life, a way of thinking, a way of living our everyday lives that the world is trying to kind of make us fit into. He says, what we're supposed to be doing, he goes on to say in, in Romans 12 too, is that we are to be proving what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. It's not just that we're not doing bad things. It's that we're doing what? It's that we're doing good. There's a constant war against God's people to conform and to be like the rest of the world. It's not enough that we do uh, what they do. 
They want you to do it too, right? That's the way it is. People, they, they get mad. They see you not doing what they're doing and they don't like it. From what we wear to where we go to how we work and to what we spend our money and our time in, the world would like for us all to sort of just get in line and do what they want. There's a constant pressure that comes from the world for us to be like them. This is something we must, as Christian people, resist steadfastly. Now, I don't want to totally overwhelm you. If I really laid out the vision of what God has for us, you would, it, you would leave here depressed that your life is a mess. Okay? I'm not going to do that to you. But I'm going to try to give you a picture to inspire you not to make you feel bad. Okay? Now, we may feel very set apart from the world, but we've really adopted their entire pattern of life, and we have cut out a few of the nastier things that they do, but by and large, we conform to the way they live. We feel obligated to work a certain amount of hours a week. We feel obligated to earn a certain amount of money, to live in a certain kind of a house, to drive a certain kind of a car, to live a certain standard of living. Now, you might go, well, I don't. Well, I think you do. I think we all do. We feel obligated to live like they do. And in fact, we do live just like them. You know, it was absurd. And, I, and you can all laugh at the church I grew up in. The, the women had the long hair and they didn't wear makeup. And, and they, they, they only wore dresses and not pants. And, and, but they lived just like the world otherwise. And they're like, you know, we're set apart from the world. And at some point, it became clear to me that they were living exactly like the world other than these few little things. Folks, we're guilty of the same exact thing only in a different way so please don't be depressed by this but it's true you might not understand it but it's true okay now god wants us though to live a different life paul told the ephesians in ephesians chapter 2 that god had raised us from the deadness of our sins that he took us out of the race of men of adam's sons that we would live our lives differently right he says when in times past everybody say times past we walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we had our conversation. Now, this is King James language. We had our lifestyle. Let me say my lifestyle. We had our lifestyle like them. In the lust of their flesh, fulfilling the desires of their flesh in their mind. Now, when we hear scripture like this, we often are thinking... Okay, that's right. They lie, they cheat, they steal. They're drunkards, they're adulterers, and we're not. That's not really what he's saying. Obviously, that's part of it, but that's only one half. We often only think of this meaning that when we were without God, we broke his commandments willingly. We stole, we lied, we killed. But it's more than that. It's not about what we don't do anymore. Only it's about what we do. Everybody say, what we do. We focus so much about what we don't do that we become Pharisees. And we focus so little about what we do do that we don't do anything but focus on what we shouldn't be doing. Someone should write that down. A few chapters later, after telling them that they were now strangers in the world and citizens with the saints in the kingdom of God, he says this. He says, this I say therefore in the Lord and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as Gentiles walk. Now, he didn't mean don't walk like them. Like if they walk like this, then we should walk like this. Okay? He's not saying develop a different way of walking to, to maybe, you know, do this. No. He's saying the way that you live your everyday life. And the deal is, is most Christians' lives cannot be distinguished from the lives of the people in the world. They don't drive past our house and go, oh, Christians must live there. Maybe they see your 15-passenger van. I don't know. In verse 18, it says, They have their understanding darkened. They're alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. They don't know how to live, but we should. Amen? Now, I, I really want this to sink in for just a minute, okay? I would urge all of us, I would urge every person in here, now, not to be depressed, okay? But I'd like you to, and I'd like all of us to meditate on this and pray about this. 
Do, does my life basically look like the world only maybe cleaned up a little bit? You know, if you, if you do this for a little bit, you might go, well, well, what do we do? I don't know. I mean, how, I'm telling you, this should kind of make you, I'm trying to get our minds thinking differently. Do you know what we pursue with our children? We pursue their education and their vocation and the way they make money. That's what we do. Why? Well, that's what everybody does. Why do we do it? To fund the ungodly consumer lifestyle that rule most of the lives of the world? Is that how the Christian is supposed to live? Is the main focus of our life on what we're, how we're going to earn money? But the deal is, is it's kind of where we're going. Like, we can homeschool our kids as long as they can get a good job. And if they can get that, then they really have something. Really? What did Jesus say we're supposed to do? After these things, do the who see? Do the Gentiles. After what? He said, if you serve God, you're not supposed to worry about where you're going to live, what food you're going to eat, what clothes you're going to wear, because after these things, duh, do the Gentile seek. But that's not what you're going to do. You're going to seek first the kingdom of God. And you might go, well, how do we do that? I mean, I thought we did that by getting a good job and getting a good education and living in a nice house and having a nice family. I'm telling you, that's not what God's word instructs us. That's what the American dream teaches. The American dream teaches that we need to live in our own house and, and, and have so much land and provide exactly for ourselves and drive a certain kind of a thing. Folks, we are completely absurd. Now you might go, now you, you're coming on the date of the week after Christmas, you're going to throw a guilt trip on us. I'm not trying to do that. You know, years ago in the 1980s, I went to school with a bunch of people from, uh, from Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia. And when I saw how they lived, I thought, what weirdos, you know? They all, there were like four families living in a house and, and they had like one car and they shared it and they picked night crawlers at night. And, and, but eventually, you know what they did? They paid cash for another house and for another car and they didn't borrow money. I would, you know what made them so weird? is they were living in a different way than everybody at my school and in their life. They're like, well, look at those people. Well, eventually they end up becoming restaurant owners and business owners and being financially successful. And they did it in a different way than everybody else did it. It's kind of amazing. You know, we kind of think there's no other way to do what we want to do other than these certain ways. We torment ourselves and our children and we make the focus of our lives something that if we really make the focus of our lives, we're not going to lead our children to love their neighbor as themselves. We're not going to lead them to love uh, Christ and others. We're going to lead them really kind of like cattle. You know, you know cattle live their whole lives for, to ultimately be processed. Right, He. You know, the idea of these pigs is like, we're going to eat you, and so eat up, buddy. And we're, you're going to drink, and, you, and, and we teach them to follow us and to get in line and do whatever we want, so we can eventually eat them. And you go, now, Mark, what are you talking about? I'm telling you, this is like the world, and it's what they've done to us. Recreation and entertainment fill up most of the time. We're not figuring out how to earn more money. The lifestyle that we... Uh, will lead us and our families to the same place it's leading those who are headed into the ditch of their own falling. We who have never known better, we who should have known better, can fall into the same ditch of our lives and our lives can be wasted. So there was a guy who wrote a book, so, so how should we then live? I mean, this is a good question right now. What I'm telling you is how we should live is so different that I really don't even know. But I can tell you right now, I don't see how it brings glory, glory to God for us to all have our own thing and all, all of us to make all these resources and spend all these resources. and do, I, I'm just telling you, we're foolish people. We've bought in. Am I going to try to change it all today and get everyone to all move into one house and live in a compound? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying that. What I'm saying is, is that the world has told us how to live and we have to live that way. That's what we think. And folks, we should be trying to think, how would God have me to live? Benita, I'm not trying to get you to move out of your house and, and come in and live with us or whatever, but 
There's something a little bit absurd about the fact that my sister, whom I love, and I'm, I'm not trying to live there until you're 90, whatever, okay? But what is going on? Okay, I'm not trying to, that's, that's not the point. This is a, this is a everybody say big picture. Long term. Out of the box, different kind of thinking. Folks, we have bought into an idea. You know? The idea that, that you know, where we put our, parents off in some place somewhere rather than caring for them in our homes. The idea that says we have to do X, Y, Z, that we have to work so much. You know, it's amazing. I was reading about, well, okay, I I don't want to go there. Just let me keep moving. You might think, where in the world? Somewhere. On On this occasion during what is known as the 12 days of Christmas, I thought it might be a good thing to talk about the beauty of kingdom culture. Everybody say kingdom culture. How I believe as God's kingdom comes and His will is done on earth as it is in heaven, the church will one day return to a culture of these four things, okay? You ready for it? You've heard them already. Feasting. Everybody say feasting. Feasting. Fasting. Fasting. Resting. Fasting. And remembering. These four things have been four pillars in the building of of the kingdom for thousands of years, and they once they will be again one day. I believe now, not next year. You know, I'm not ready to. You know, let's you know, let's all uh, sell all we have and put it in a big thing, and then buy. It. This is not where we're going. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say that's the idea. But how we do or don't do these four things I just mentioned, they're going to define the culture of who we are in many different ways. All four of these pillars were instituted by God in the law. They were observed by His people ever since. They were celebrated by Jesus. What was Jesus doing in in our reading? What was He doing? He was celebrating the feast of Passover. Most people think of the Last Supper. Folks, it's the last Passover meal. It was the last feast. He was gathering around, observing a a, a, a mandated feast. God mandated that they must celebrate this feast. Now, what in the world is that? It it makes me wonder if God mandated that his people celebrate feasts, and we're going to get into some of those, okay? If that maybe that this lifestyle might be a kingdom-building, tradition-building, culture, kingdom-culture-building thing. That's why we're talking about them. In fact, to point to the importance of these special feast days, many of the most important events in the life of Christ and the church happen when? Everybody say during the feast. Crucifixion. Resurrection. Pentecost. When we think of Pentecost, we think of the crazy people running around their churches and swinging from chandeliers. But Pentecost is not that. It's something instituted by God a really, really, really long time before there were ever Pentecostals. Now today I'm not advocating for the celebration of the 12 days of Christmas. It's just a feast that most of us really don't know anything about and we don't practice, but it's been around for 1,400 years and I don't know, maybe it was good or maybe it wasn't. There's not enough information on it, nor does it seem to me that vital. But I am taking the opportunity to remind us that there is a way of life that we have lost that in time, it may be hundreds of years. Now, I know we don't think this way, but folks, I think we should. We should think about what is this church in 300 years going to be doing? You might go, I don't want to think about that. Well, well, don't. I'm going to think about it. God's people will strike out, I believe, on their own course instead of following the course of this world. They will develop a lifestyle that brings glory to God instead of pointing us to more ways to fulfill the lust of our flesh and our mind. God's word tells us that we are to redeem our time. We've only been given so much time. We only have so many hours in the day. We only have so many years we're going to live. We're carrying a torch for a brief time, Luke, and we're going to pass it on to our children and our children's children. What in the world are we doing? What are we building? And it's my condition. My contention that through feasting and fasting and resting and remembering, we can build a culture that's amazing. I'm not going to talk about economic development and, uh, you know, different social reorganization and, and, and all that. I don't, I don't have any, I don't even know. 
But I can tell you what, Ephesians 5.8 says this, For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you the children of the light. Now walk like it. He mentions, he says, for the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth. Is he starting off talking about the negative? No. He's saying the life that you live and the things that you do and the way that you live your lifestyle is going to say something about me. You, you, in verse 10, you prove what is acceptable to the Lord. We're so worried about making a bad picture that we forgot that there's a good one that we're supposed to be making. Imagine if all you were worried about was just being a bad parent. I want to make sure my kids know that I'm not a bad parent. If that was your entire focus as a parent. What if we thought about being good parents? Have no fellowship, of course, with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. It's a shame even to talk about those things which are done of them in secret. But all things are reproved or made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. It's talking about the role of the church to be the light. You see, they walk in darkness and they're blind and everyone's following them into the ditch. And he's saying, you're the light. They should be following you. He says, awake, arise thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. He's talking to Christians. He's saying, you're living like these dead, blind people develop a new way of living. Verse 15, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Verse 16, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine, where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. We focus on not being drunk, but we don't talk about being filled. Speaking to yourselves. What's being filled with the Spirit? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. I'm telling you, if we just practice verses 19, 20, and 21, we could change the world. Imagine if they went by us and they're like, look at those people. They, they prefer each other. They esteem each other. They love each other. They care for each other. Look at them. Their lives aren't built around like ours. Our lives are focused on ourselves. They would start to see there's a better way. They who, they even the people that don't know God. The Bible tells us that the people that don't know God will eventually look at how the people of God live and they will want to live like them. Why? Because they'll see we know how to do it. Right now, I'm telling you, we're following them. So when you read this passage, does this sound like your life? Are you redeeming the time or are you wasting on nothing merely but carnal pursuits? Are you as concerned with your children's pursuit of God and the kingdom as you are with how they will make money or with their own amusement? Are you living a life of thinking how God has dealt with his people covenantally as he did Israel and he still does with the body of Christ? Or are you thinking of how Robinettes are going to live or how uh, Cusels or Chapmans or Goldsmiths? Do you think like that? Now, I'm not against Thanksgiving or valentine's day or martin luther king day or the fourth of july but i think there might be better things for us to think on in addition to these things and i believe we'll find a better focus for god's word for the christian culture we should be working to build now to build my case for this we have to go to god's word the author of time and see the pattern that he set for us for marking time itself that points to his kingdom okay so just hang out with me can you do it for just a little while i I know everyone's tired. We've had so many blessings with so many gifts. We've eaten so much food. We're all so tired. God's given us the day. Everybody say the day. The week. The month. And the seasons of the year. And the year itself. Okay? Time itself is a created thing that was given to us to bring glory to God. The entire concept of it was miraculous and is a way of marking the march of time toward the consummation of of all things. Now, we see this alive and well on a small scale when our children ask us, what's today? You guys ever have your kids do this? What's today? When's Christmas coming? What time are the, pe- what, what time are the church people coming over? It's going to be in an hour. 
How long's an hour? Right? See, God developed it. Imagine if you couldn't say that tomorrow. Or imagine if you couldn't say in two hours. If there wasn't any time, it would be like, they're coming. I don't know when. They might come. They might not. I don't know. What are you going to do? What is it? I don't know. Just being able to point to a time in the future is part of our right now. Just to be able to point to a time in our past is part of our right now. When we do, when we memorialize events, when we, when we celebrate things, when we remember things, to have a time when they were or a time when they're going to be, it's priceless. God uses time to help us remember Him and His goodness. What He has done, what He is doing, and what He will do one day. We wait for that time to come. The waiting is part of our transformation and keeps us from being conformed. Folks, when, when, when you make kids wait to open presents, do you understand what this is part of the, this part of the feast? The waiting. What are you doing? You're teaching your children. When people come up around here, I don't know if you notice this, but and, and it's not like a church-wide thing, but what we try to do is wait till every person has bread in their hand, and then we hold it up. Why do we do this? We do it over here in our little circle because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11 that what they did is they didn't wait on their brothers. So we want to remember that they, we didn't used to wait. We want to wait. And so what do we do? We wait. Now, is there say anywhere in the law you don't have to eat your bread until every person has? No, it doesn't say that. But, but it's a little tradition we're sort of developing over in, in, in the circle that I'm in on Sunday. Maybe you can do it too. You, you wait till everyone, you look, does everyone have it? Because what do we do? We want to be people that wait. See that little tiny tradition? That's a tradition that teaches. That little holding of the bread in your hand teaches you, we wait. We think of others. It's like not knowing, you know, to eat the snack because dinner is coming. Not giving up working because the work day will end at a certain time or school. How many of you remember being in school and you're just like, oh, I just want to just die. But you'd look at that clock on the wall and you're like, three o'clock's coming. Right? If it wasn't there, don't you think you would just have exploded? I mean, you're, you're, you're in 11th grade and you're going, if I have to go to one more year of this, I'm going to burn it to the ground. I, none of you guys, you don't understand this, but I'm telling you, I lived in that world. I'd see that bus coming and I'm like, I hate that thing. But time helped me to survive it. This is part of tradition. Part of tradition is waiting. Part of tradition is time. There's a day that Christmas Day is and a day that it's not. There's a, do you understand what I'm saying? Part of tradition is the waiting. It's the time. It's the preparation. It's the, it's the fasting in preparation for the feasting. You see, they didn't just feast. They eat everything all the time and then feasted. And you think they're going to go broke. Folks, they fasted too. You go for several days a year not eating. You can eat special on other days. But we're not used to that. We're going to eat Everything the same. Every day is a Christmas dinner at our house. You know, it can't be like that. God uses the day, the week, the month, the year, and the seasons to point us to what is coming and what has been. In the day, each day we live, we are living on either one of the days that God created the universe, right? Or we're living on the day that He rested. Every day when the sun comes up, we're reminded of what? God said, let there be light. God gives us time. As they give. He gives us the week. The whole concept of the seven day week began with God. Six days shall we work like God worked, making the universe, but on the seventh we rest. In that simple tradition of observing a week, we're reminded constantly of what God did. Every single day. Imagine if every day you got up and you said, Today is the day God made the stars. Rather than saying it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Imagine if we called them different things other than the, after these gods that don't exist. Mars and Thursday and what, all the Thor's Day or whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll defer to our experts to tell us which days were what. But imagine if we defined the, what they were. I think that the church will define the names of the days. But we haven't quite yet. They're defined by others for us. But there's still seven of them, right? Folks, I'm telling you, that's your tradition. We better not let slip away, and we better make it more lovely. 
At each sunrise, remember that God said, let there be light. There was light. God's people join in the rest with God in communion after a week of our own creations. We create worlds each week by work and rest. Walking with God gives us rest. Sabbath, instead of the monotony of nonstop labor, we stop. Could you imagine if you know work just droned on to him Monday, Tuesday, when, and there was never a Saturday or a Sunday. It was just every day, every day. He'd be like, <gasps> but God knew we needed this. The month. After the day in the week, God gave us the month called the new moon in the Bible. These full moons were a way of breaking up time into 12 more segments. FYI, this was the, 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 one of the purposes of the 12 days of Christmas. It was to think about 12 things that you wanted to do in the coming year. One for each of the months. 12 reminds us of the 12 tribes of Israel and 12 apostles. But this first 12 division was because of the moons. The moon becomes a full moon. Did you, did you hear in our reading where he said this was going to be the first day of the first month? God established the month. He put, he put the moon on this cycle to where it appears every, you know, it's between 28 and 29. It's some 20-something point, whatever. It appears full in the sky exactly in this cycle. And you might go, I mean, guys, what is the evolutionary chance on planet Earth that anything like that would be? There's no chance. God made it exactly why? So we could mark time. So we could see January, February, March. Now, those are also named after things that are not necessarily what we should even name them after. And what they decided was the first month was not the month God decided was the first month. And so why do we do what they do? I'm telling you, there's a wrecking ball that needs to go into our minds and our lives where we decide we're not them. And we're our own people. There was a thing called Rosh Shadosh or Rosh Hodesh. It was the head of the month. It was the name of the first day of every month in the Hebrew calendar marked by a new moon. Do you know they celebrated once a month? Imagine if we celebrated God had given us another month every month. What if, what if we did that? They did it in the Bible. The Bible talks about new moons and we know what a full moon is, but a new moon, we're not quite sure. But basically that's what it is. On these new moons each month, Israel observed a Sabbath. They, they would take it as another rest day. Besides the Sabbaths that were happening every Saturday at the beginning, they would have another Sabbath that would celebrate this, and they would blow trumpets. And they would, do, and they would sing a couple songs. They would do different things. Folks, we don't even know what they did. We don't even think like that. Am I trying to say we need to be Jewish? No, I'm not. But we are. We're Jewish in many ways. We can learn from what God did to help them remember who they were. We need to remember who we are, folks. And if all this wasn't enough, there's Rosh Hashanah, which is the head of the year. Remember in our reading, he read it. God said, this is going to be the first day of the first month. And you've heard of Rosh Hashanah. It's the first day of the first month. When the full moon at a certain time. And you know what's interesting about this is that it changed every year. God was doing this for a reason. He was doing it to emphasize the corporate nature. The elders would get together and they would decide. They would have to calculate. They would have to figure out, when is this new moon going to happen? Because it wasn't like it was. they could just know every year on April the 1st. It's not like that. It switches. We, this is Easter as well. Do you guys know that? Do you ever have to look at your calendar and go, when's Easter going to be this year? That's what they did. That's why it's like that. Because they weren't setting it on an arbitrary calendar of numbers set up by, you know, Hallmark, okay? Or set up by, you know, the Gregorian calendar or whatever it was. It was very particularly set up due to the planets that lined up in the sky and the moon. And when that first... New moon happened at that time. That was the New Year's Day. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had a different New Year's Day and you had to figure out when it was? But, but what I'm saying is, is I'm not trying to put a wrecking ball and throw away all your calendars. and don't. What I'm saying is, can you see that, that we have come to think things that are different? Why do we not celebrate as the beginning of the year what God said was? Why not? Ask yourself that question. I don't know. This month was the day of the religious new year. It began at the new moon somewhere between March and April, and it coincides with the latter rains of Joel chapter 2. Each month began with a new moon. You can read about it in Numbers 10. 
28, 1 Samuel 20, Psalm 81, Isaiah 66, Ezekiel 46, Amos 8, and Colossians 2. It talks about it all over the Bible. We don't even think about it. To help center their culture around the people as a whole, everyone waited for this day to be calculated by the elders and declared just in the same way Easter has been in the church for many, many years. Feasting, fasting, resting, and remembering. Feasting is what they did. Fasting is what they did to prepare for the feast. Feasting doesn't have to break the bank. Resting, Sabbaths were a big part to stop working and to do something else. We're not going to work. What are we going to do? We're going to sing. We're not going to work. What are we going to do? We're going to blow the trumpets. We're not going to work. What do we do? We're going to eat together as a group of people remembering that we're not just here by ourselves in this world, but that we're part of the people of God. These four words help us today to stay God-focused and kingdom-minded. Why do we forget, everybody? Because we don't remember. What are we remembering? What are we doing? What are we feasting and fasting about? You know, I'll throw in here, you know, some traditions become horrible and nasty. There's a, there's a tradition in the world, and I know no one practices this, but it's an example of a tradition gone bad. So men are going to get married, so what do they do? They go out and they do horrendous and ungodly and horrible things, so that half the time they're not even able to come to the wedding ceremony. Everybody say, that's tradition gone crazy. See, but I'm telling you, that as absurd as that is, folks, we have become such absurd as that. We're going to have a birthday party for our kid, even if it kills him and kills us. We're going to celebrate Christmas for like 18 months. We're going to be stressed out of our minds. We're going to, uh, everything's got to be perfect. We're going to spend more money than we have. And you go, oh, I can't believe he's even saying these things in our pulpit. Oh, no, it's depressing. Oh, we got to repent. The goal isn't to make you feel bad. Folks, we sin all the time. What we've done in the past is washed by the blood of Christ. But what we do in the future is something we should think about. What are we doing? It's like the man who built the Taj Mahal. His wife died. He thought she was amazing. And he got so intent building the stinking building, they lost her coffin. They built this. Where did she? Well, I don't, I don't know where she went. I built it all for her. Folks, when the traditions begin to crush the beauty, when the traditions don't point us to the thing that we're celebrating, you know, we're supposed to remember that God's given us so many gifts that we give ourselves into bankruptcy. Really? Does that please God? We're worried what everybody thinks, and it's got to be this way. And folks, I'm telling you, there's some things that are wrong about what we've done and what's been done to us. If all the markers of time are not enough, the day, the week, the month, and the year, God set apart several more days each year that He commanded Israel to observe. Now, we read about them. They were not minor things. They were big deals. For three of these annual feasts, Brother Steve, the men of Israel had to leave their homes wherever they were all over Israel and make a pilgrimage to the holy city. So was this a minor thing? Not a minor thing. Some of them lasted a day. Some of them lasted an entire week. We can't even be interrupted for Christmas. We've got people on one hand who don't want to be interrupted, who bah humbug everything, right? Oh, it's all a bunch of foolishness. It's stupid, you know? No, it's not. It just shouldn't kill us, okay? It shouldn't be the focus of our lives. It shouldn't break the bank. It shouldn't make us psychotic, right? But it's the same thing. It's not bah humbug either. What's the Christian life, guys? It's moderation. How can we build beautiful traditions that glorify God, that glorify peace and rest and love and thanksgiving and, and the, the beauty of what God has done? I think we can do better. Three of these annual feasts, God required the men of Israel to travel Jerusalem from all over the country. These were yet another way God emphasized the corporate nature of how God deals with the people. Some of the Psalms of the Bible were only meant for those days. There's a group of the Psalms called the Psalm of the Ascent. They were memorized, but they were memorized uh, to be used for a specific time as they walked up the steps that led to the temple, reminding of how God brought them out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. It reminded them of the covenantal relationship that God had with them, the nation when they would all gather together. They had to leave their homes. They had to all come together. They had to remember 
I'm of the tribe of Dan. I'm of the tribe of Asher. I'm of the tribe of this and that. And, and this is who I am. And I'm a Levi. And I'm, I'm from Judah. This is who I am. I'm a Jew. Uh, my, our, our forefathers were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there was a man named Israel. They had to remember this. They had to gather under those names. These traditions help make them come to pass. God deals with us in a special way as His church. His people, when we more often think of our uh, relationship as personal or even with our family, God has not chosen a family to conquer His enemies. He's chosen the church. Now honestly, if I only took two minutes for every little explanation of what is, goes on in these feasts, we would be here for hours. So I'm not going to do that, okay? If you want to see this, I'll send you a little thing. I'm not trying to say we need to do this. But I'm saying God did it. He did it for his people. He had them do it not only with the day and the week and the month and the year and all this stuff. And, and the, they didn't have the new year, but they also had these other things they did on top of all this. We go, oh, we're so busy. Yeah, you know what we're busy doing? We're doing stupid things is what we're busy doing. We're busy building our life around frivolity and we're not thinking of the future. We're not building a Christian culture. So let me quickly go over what God had his people doing in addition to just the day, the week, the month, and the year, and all that stuff. Everybody say there were six feasts. Like, wow, like 12 months and six feasts. I mean, they were hardly recuperated from some Sabbath and at the beginning of the month. And what, you know, folks, I grew up going to church like five times a week. We go once on Sunday, it's like, man, I don't know if I can even get myself up. It's really rough. Pastor Mark starts having Sunday night and Wednesday night and Thursday night. And I'm not saying we're going to do that. That's probably not the best thing either. But folks, we build up an endurance. We build up a thing. Is, you know, we're so used to celebrating the things that we celebrate. They're just kind of part of our lives now. And well, we've got to do that. Right? But there were six festivals. There were uh, two in the spring, two in the fall, and one right in the middle. The first was Passover. We heard about it today. God told them... In fact, what was interesting is that he said, those that don't celebrate this are not Israelites anymore. I mean, that's pretty rough, right? Anybody that eats leaven, they're cut off from Israel. I mean, so it wasn't kind of like the feast is a good idea. Maybe you should do it or not. No, and this, it was a, it was a must do, okay? And it, it, it was supposed to be done on the 14th day exactly of the first month. Now, within that, there is this other feast within the feast of Passover called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was a week-long festival. And there's a bunch of stuff in it. It would take me forever to explain it. But we move on, and 50 days uh, later, we have the Feast of Pentecost, which was a one-day deal. Then there was, uh, on the first month of the seventh month, the Feast of Trumpets. Then there was... Uh, the Day of Atonement, which was on the 10th day of the 7th month. Now, what's interesting to me about these feasts is they, they, they didn't spread them out, Becky, like every two months, you know. Some of these feasts all, you know, are all within a three-week period of time. There's feast, feast, feast. They just feast like crazy. After the Day of Atonement, you've all heard of the Feast of Tabernacles. That's one, two, three, four, five, six of these. Two of them are seven days long. Well, one of them actually goes... An eighth day, the eighth day festival, the Feast of Tabernacles, because they, they have stuff they do on the very last day. So, don't get worried. I'm not saying that we do them, but God did this in His Word for the month. He did it for the Sabbath, and He did it for these things. And I really think that what they did on these days defined who they were. When we gather together and we have our memorial, what do we do? Every, what are we doing? We're breaking the bread. What are we remembering? We're remembering the Passover feast that Jesus held. We're remembering the Passover that was observed by the children of Israel. What, why do we not let people come to the table that aren't Christians? Because what did it say about the Passover? You don't let the strangers, unless they want to become Jews, unless they want to be circumcised, then they can do it, right? Why do, we, why do we not allow children who aren't baptized? Why do we not allow them to participate? Because they didn't. It's a tradition that points us to the truths of God's word and helps us remember. It's not that we're being mean. It's that we're wanting to remember properly what God has taught. If, if we were just like, all right, everybody run up and rip a piece of bread off and get it as fast as you can. Would that tell the story? No, 
that wouldn't tell the story. So we, there's liturgy in how we walk around and what we do and the little traditions, whether they're in a circle here or what we do in our homes. God gave elaborate instructions on how these days would be lived out among the Israelites. They defined who they were. You can look at our text and see some of them. I, I, I think it's amazing. As I was hearing them read, I'm thinking, God is so wise. He puts in there, he said, I want you to get this lamb and I want you to separate it out. And I want you to keep it for so many days. Could you imagine during Passover, uh, when, they, when they celebrated this every year, they, 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 they're like, there he is, there's that lamb. Dad separated it out. When's Passover coming? Well, he brought it out. I think it's going to be 13 more days. He brought it out yesterday. Okay. And so what are they doing, Benita, for 14 days? They're going, Passover's coming. Passover's coming. Now we're going to set it apart. Why? Oh, we're remembering. We're remembering that it's set apart. We're remembering that we are a set apart people, that we are not like the world. And we're remembering how the Messiah came. And, and so whatever. So this is what was going on. They, they, whatever they did in their traditions, there was a lot of leeway too. There were details of what they had to do, but there was leeway on how they did it. They didn't say, you know, exactly where to put it in your yard. You could you make a place. Why? To teach something beautiful. I don't know. God gave us extra leeway in these things, but he wants us to observe these things like this in his feasts. Why? He was intentional. He's God, of course, everything he does intentional. But he intentionally made them wave. He intentionally had them do this. He intentionally had them eat it all. And he intentionally had them burn what they did. He, it was very thought out and planned. He intentionally had them go through their house. If you read these, when, when I first started understanding how the, the Jews people, they would go into their homes and they would do everything they could to get every single bit of, uh, of leaven out of their house. And they even had a fun tradition where the kids would go around searching for it. And the parents would put some in a thing so they could find it. And, and that was part of their tradition. They would find it. They'd go, oh, we got to get this out of our house because the big day's coming when all the leaven and the little kids are participating. That's a good tradition. I'm not saying it's a good tradition you need to. I'm saying it's a good tradition they developed to help them remember that leaven was supposed to be out of their house. They made it fun for the kids. They helped them to realize how serious it was. They showed them that, that these kids were not just little kids, but they were part of the church too. And that kids need to obey God's commands like parents do. Folks, good traditions build incredible culture. What we do with our church, what we do with our lives, what we do as a corporate people of God is going to define us. I'm going to read it again, and I just want you to think of it in the sense that you were planning an event. And you were trying to be intentional. God planned this one. This day shall be unto you a memorial. So he's explaining the purpose, right? You shall keep the feast of the Lord throughout your generations. He let them know, this is something you're not just going to do once, but you're going to keep doing it when? All the time. And it's going to be by an ordinance. So this is instituted by law. So that means everybody's going to do it. Do you see what's being taught in this? Being taught, we do things together. Like we confess our sins together. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread, and, but the first day you shall put away the leaven out of your houses. God's giving them very specific instructions. Whosoever eats the leaven the first day of the seventh, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. He's explaining to them, hey, it's important that we know we're a people. The first day there shall be a holy convocation. That means a gathering. So they were going to get together and have an incredible time of worship where the people would get together and praise and sing and have a church service, basically, on the, on the beginning and the ending. Why would that be good? To remind them what it's all about. I'm sure there were times when people got focused on what's the lamb going to taste like? How big is it going to be? You know... Is it hair? Is his hair cut just right or whatever? You know, it's wool. You can get focused on the wrong thing. You shall observe the feast of unlimbered bread, the self-same day I brought you out. Verse 18, the first month, the 14th day. And he goes on. He tells them how long it's going to be seven days. Okay, now, so the, the, the thing is, and I know this is all a little bit overwhelming, but I really wanted this to be this. I really wanted our minds to be applied. Folks, I'm telling you, the world has got us to where the last thing that we can actually do is have any thought about anything. 
we're on like this runaway train where time is going by and our kids are growing up and we're just trying to survive and as long as nobody gets hurt, we're okay. You know, then we got to go to the ER. I think, I think Foundation Church may spend as much time in the ER as any church. You know, injuries at our house, injuries everywhere on farms and in homes, right? We're living life. Who are the, well, there are those Christian people that are having so much fun there, spend their time in the ER. I don't know. Maybe that's our tradition. But the thing to ask yourself is, how does it look like yours? I'm not trying to say, you know, Rosh Hashanah and, and Day of Atonement. We know our sins have been atoned for. You know, we're, we know the, the shadows of the Passover. That's not necessarily what our focus of our life should be. I'm not saying that we should return to these Old Testament shadows But I'm saying that what we should do is we should understand that God has always cared about what we do with our time. And what we do with our time is going to affect who we will become. How we order our lives and how we build the culture that thinks covenantal. It sets our affections on God and looks for and works for bringing God's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. One that openly declares the lordship of Christ over our time. Everybody say Christ is Lord over my time. Christ is Lord over my money. He's Lord of my children. It may all seem overwhelming at first, but tradition and culture take time to build. And once they're built, they really don't seem like intrusions on our life. They just are part of it. Oh, that's what we do. We always do. I mean, when I tell some church that our church eats a meal in our church every week, they go, What? How is that even possible? And some of you, you know, have a heart. Oh, we got to do that again. Folks, it's who we are. We want to be together. We love each other. That's what we do. How we do that. I love the way that mostly, and I like to give credit where it's due, where my wife has made this a lovely thing. My wife says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put dishes on the table so that we're not all standing in a, you know, a 40-foot long line wondering if there's going to be any food left. I like sitting down and talking to people. I think that's kind of neat. You might not like some of the traditions, but, you know, when you're mom and dad, you can set them, you know? So, so when the plates are at the table, we, we're there, we're sitting across from each other, we're talking, we're trying to, at least, maybe we're doing it wrong, but we're trying to do something good. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're thinking of it. How can we help, you know, moms not have to walk through getting four plates for their children? That's why you build a tradition like we're doing. Maybe we'll find a better way of doing it. I don't know. But when you're making your tradition, whether it's eating after church or whatever you're doing, those traditions, we say, you know, I go to church, there's not one of them have a tablecloth. Each week we go through the hard work of washing the tablecloths. Why? Because we want them to be pretty. Why? Because we say, you know what, we're gathered in the house of God. At our table, we don't just eat on a bare plastic table. There's thought that goes into even a detail like that. See how those traditions build beauty? People come in and they go, I want to talk to who's ever responsible for this. Why? Because they see the beauty of it. Is it hard work? Yeah. Is it hard to organize and send out a thing? Who's supposed to bring butter and bread? And are there snafus and do people forget things? Yes, they do. But what I'm saying is whatever traditions we develop, and I think that's an excellent one that my wife has really worked hard to make nice for this church. We can build beautiful things in our church. We don't have to go and build a hundred of them next week, but let's think about the next one maybe. The next one we want to build into our future. You can see this with Christmas, Thanksgiving, and birthdays. They're not a bother. They're a part of what makes our lives worth living. They're as natural to us as Monday mornings or Friday nights. I'm not encouraging holiday Nazis around here either. People who humbug all the current holidays, which would be, if you're wanting to do this right now, just so you know, you're a stinking Pharisee, okay? Yeah, it's who you are. Just get get used to it. Just, you don't have to raise your hand, but go, wow, that's kind of where I was going. I'm like, let's get rid of them all. Like, yeah, that's because you got some serious problems that need help. All right. I have other problems. I'm praying all this will get our creative thinkers and our minds and our planners. Folks, we have people who are good at planning. And as a result, we end up enjoying the fruits of the planning. I'm not the greatest planner. If it were up to me, things would be a whole lot worse around here and i'm thankful that it's not i'm thankful that god uses an entire church full of people and their gifts may we as we close this new year 
this, this, out, this, this year out and we begin a new year, may we pray and ask God to help us begin to think of these things that we're talking about, about feasting, about fasting, about resting and remembering. Andy, I love the, the, the field day that you do at your house. I love it. I was watching uh, some old things the other day. Remember this year, I'm like, well, what annual is it? Do you know you've done eight years of that? Because we were, I'm watching this thing, and it said, and we named the year when we started it in the thing, on the video. And I'm like, oh, now I know what it is. Eight years. The next one will be the eighth annual. I love it. Our kids, oh, we going to do that? We going to do that? You know, we're going to have our fall thing. We're going to shoot guns and ride tractors and, and, and do, yeah, yeah, we're going to do that. And we're going to stay up all night. And we're going to have donuts by the campfire in the morning. And the men are going to go get rally burgers at midnight. <laughs> ah, I love it. <laughs> Feasting, fasting, resting, and remembering takes planning. The planners that God has given the church have great power to shape the culture of our children, our grandchildren will live in. And they will give us the church of tomorrow. You might say it seems like a funny thing to talk about, folks. That's our life. Let's think about it. Let's put our minds on it. Those of you that are good, I'm not, I'm not a party planner. I'm not a tradition planner. I can help you think biblically if you're planning one. I can, I can help you think on that. I'm so thankful for the gifts that God has given the church. Amen? Let's understand this is our church and we'll be giving the next generation another church. Let it be lovely. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the feast days that you set, for the markers of time, for the month, the week, the time, the, the, the year, the seasons, the special feasts. Lord, they taught us that in feasting we remember. In fasting we learn to wait. We remember that the world, there are people that are hungry while we have so much. Oh God, let us learn from our traditions of resting and, and feasting and fasting and the things we do to remember. Let them be well thought out. And Lord, let us disregard or temper the ones that have been overemphasized or that have run roughshod over the beauty of the celebration that they should be. Oh Lord, may we celebrate your goodness at resurrection. May we celebrate the gift of the church at Pentecost. May we celebrate your incarnation through Christmas, oh God. And certainly we can give thanks with a nation for a nation built on your name. These are not bad traditions, but may we focus them rather than on what the world has made them to be and make them something that glorifies your holy name. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said a resounding. Amen. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.